Howdy, and welcome to Wise About Texas, the Texas History Podcast. First of all, I want to thank everyone for a continued tremendous response to this podcast. Hundreds of folks are enjoying it and spreading the stories of Texas history. Please take a minute to give the show a rating and review on iTunes, because that really helps the people find the show. And be sure to share the Wise About Texas Facebook page. You can also follow the show at Wise About Texas. That's at Wise About Texas. I love telling these stories, and I hope that you'll help me preserve Texas history. Now, in response to a listener's suggestion, I decided to do a show on the capitals of Texas, but quickly discovered that it needed to be two episodes. In the first episode, you learned about the travels of the provisional government before and right after Texas won independence, and how several places could have been considered a capital of the Republic of Texas. Washington on the Brazos, the Bernardo Plantation, Harrisburg, the Texian Army Camp at San Jacinto, Galveston, Velasco, and Columbia were all headquarters for the new government at one point in time. The first legislature convened at Columbia, and within two months had already voted to move the capital, this time to the new city of Houston. So let's go back to 1836 and get wise about Texas. Before we get to the city of Houston as the capital, I've got to start with one of those side stories that this show is becoming famous for. Did you know that the city of Houston, the present-day city, was not the first town in Texas named Houston? I didn't know that until I was researching this episode. It turns out that in 1835, 500 acres was donated by Joseph Jordan and William McDonald for a town site and a fort in Anderson County. The town site was located in a curve of a stream called Town Creek, which is about two miles west of present-day Palestine. It's unclear how it came to be named Houston, but at some point it was. The site is better known for the fort rather than the old town, and all that remains today is the old cemetery, which contains the graves of some soldiers of the Republic of Texas, including some San Jacinto veterans. Texas political leader John Reagan bought the old town site in the 1800s, and made it part of his ranch, and he lived there for many years. So there's a little story about the first Houston, but we're concerned in this episode with the second. The founders of present-day Houston were two brothers from New York named Augustus Allen and John Kirby Allen. They founded the town at the intersection of White Oak Bayou and Buffalo Bayou in 1836. The location, in fact, was not their first choice. Augustus Allen had invested in Galveston Island, and he once tried to buy Morgan's Point, where New Washington had been located until Santa Ana destroyed it. The brothers together tried to buy the burned-out town of Harrisburg, but the title to that land was tied up in litigation. So they decided to set up a town about eight miles west of Harrisburg. Shrewdly, the brothers named their new town after the hero of San Jacinto, the immensely popular Sam Houston. Now, legend has it that Charlotte Allen, who was Augustus's wife, announced at a dinner that she would claim the honor of naming the town and would name it after her dinner guest seated at the head of the table, none other than General Houston, to which Houston allegedly replied, May our hostess, Mrs. Allen, live to see the city of Houston, the first city of Texas, and the pride of the Lone Star Republic. But however it was named, it was a popular choice, especially with Sam Houston himself. Charlotte Allen, by the way, provided the money needed to found Houston, She is a remarkable lady, and she'll get her own episode of Wise About Texas in the near future. Now, Houston in 1836 and early 1837 was hardly the concrete jungle it is today. In fact, one party attempting to locate the town site on New Year's Day, 1837, walked right past it and into White Oak Bayou. 
the party retraced their steps and managed to discern a path in the woods that ran from the edge of Buffalo Bayou, and they found stakes and footprints, so they figured they had arrived in the town. Sam Houston commented that, at least in January 1837, quote, that Houston was, quote, a small log cabin and 12 persons were all that distinguished it from the adjacent forest. By April 1837, however, when President Houston arrived with the government, he noted 100 houses and 1,500 people, so it had grown quite a bit. Now, the first house in Houston is said to have been an Indian trading post built by brothers named Tory on the north side of Prairie Street at the east end of the Prairie Street Bridge. That bridge still exists, by the way, although it's a lot larger today, obviously, and the Wortham Center occupies the area where this house would have stood. The first large warehouse was also built in early 1837, fronting Commerce Street at the northeast corner of Commerce and Main Street, and Allen's Landing Park is there now. This was the only cotton warehouse in Houston for a while and served all the cotton crops in early Texas. So one of the greatest commercial cities in the world began with that warehouse on Buffalo Bayou. My own great-great-grandfather arrived in Houston in April 1837, and he would have seen this construction and all this growing commerce. His name was Dr. James Price. He landed in Galveston from Elkton, Tennessee, and made his way to the new capital. He recorded his first impressions of Houston as, quote, found myself in what they call a cutthroat town that afforded me not a single friend or acquaintance. Now, he went on to make many friends, including President Houston, but we'll save that story for another episode. So in short, there wasn't a whole lot to the new capital of the Republic of Texas. In fact, one of the most common things written about Houston in 1837 is the size and ferocity of the mosquitoes. So I guess some things never change. The Allen brothers built the first Capitol building in Houston as they promised they would. The Capitol building was described as being located, quote, on the prairie, close quote. It was actually located at the corner of present-day Texas Avenue and Main Street, which is the heart of downtown Houston now, but at the time was at the edge of town. The city limits in those days, by the way, were the Buffalo Bayou to the north, Caroline Street, then called Carolina Street, to the east, Walker Street to the south, and Bagby Street to the west. Now, those of you familiar with downtown Houston today realize that's just a tiny part of the modern-day downtown area, much less the entire city. The Capitol building was a two-story wooden building, and at the time of its construction, it was the largest building in Houston. They didn't begin building the Capitol until April 1837, but the it was suitable for the convention of Congress in May of 1837, so they worked fast. The government met in that building until 1839, um, and in 1839, we'll get to what happened in a minute. The original Capitol building after 1839 was leased to be used as a hotel and was called the Capitol Hotel. Now, one sad note is that the last president of the Republic of Texas, Anson Jones, actually committed suicide in that old Capitol building in 1858. The building was eventually purchased by William Marsh Rice, for whom Rice University is named, and it was demolished in 1881 when he constructed a new Capitol Hotel. William Marsh Rice was later murdered, and the hotel was renamed in his honor as the Rice Hotel, and it stands today as the Rice Lofts on the exact same site as the old Capitol building on Texas Avenue at Main Street. Now, a Capitol's not complete without an executive mansion for the president, so let me tell you about that. During his first presidency, Sam Houston lived in what can only be described as a shack at the corner of Caroline Street in Preston. 
It was described as being drafty with only a 12 by 16 room and a small attached shed. Now anything, it also had dirt floors, and anything dirt in Houston was often mud, so it could not have been a very nice place to live. Later, Francis Lubbock, who was a merchant in Houston and went on to be governor of the state, sold to the state of Texas a storehouse that he had that was located at the corner of Maine and Preston for use as the executive mansion, and that was uh, certainly more suitable quarters for the president. The first meeting of Congress in Houston in 1837 formed a commission to select a permanent capital for the republic. So when they decided to make Houston the capital, that act that made Houston the capital was going to expire in 1840. So they, they had a commission that was going to decide where the permanent capital would be. The commission actually selected a site near present-day LaGrange in Fayette County, and the Congress actually passed a bill to that effect. But guess what? Sam Houston vetoed the bill. Now, it's not totally clear why he vetoed the bill, but I will say that his vice president, Mirabu Lamar, was very much in favor of Western expansion, so he likely wanted the capital moved far to the West, and Houston just as likely enjoyed having the capital in the city bearing his name. In any event, the issue of the location of the capital was going to have to be resolved by the president that succeeded Sam Houston. That's because the original Texas Constitution provided that the president of the republic could not serve more than one term consecutively, so there had to be a new election for a new president. Houston's vice president, Mirabu Lamar, was a candidate, as were James Collingsworth and Peter Grayson, both of whom happened to die on the campaign trail, leaving a late entry by the name of Robert Wilson to take on Lamar, and Lamar won the election. Now, Mirabu Lamar and Sam Houston were not friends, to put it mildly. In fact, they hated each other. So after the election, Lamar couldn't wait to move the capital away from the city, bearing his enemy's name. In truth, there were some practical reasons to do this also. The notorious mosquitoes that I mentioned earlier uh, in Houston, of course, was built on a swamp, so it was subject to yellow fever outbreaks. And there were many yellow fever epidemics that swept through Houston in the 1800s. Lamar and many others, frankly, felt that the capital needed to be in a more healthy climate. The site that they selected for the new capital was the small settlement of Waterloo on the Colorado River, far out on the western frontier of the Republic. Apparently, Lamar had been in the area on a buffalo hunt at one point, but Indian raids were common in the area and the population was very sparse, but at least in Lamar's mind, it wasn't Houston. So the capital was officially moved, and Lamar and the government arrived in Waterloo in October 1839. Now, the town was incorporated as Waterloo, but the name was quickly changed to Austin to honor Stephen F. Austin, the father of Texas, and probably to make sure it wasn't ever named after Sam Houston. Lamar was subject to the same constitution as Sam Houston, so he had to leave office after the next election in 1840. And Sam Houston was once again elected president of the Republic of Texas. If you want to sum up his likely feeling about the issue of the location of the capital, I'll mention that he never actually took up residence in Austin despite being the president. He stayed at a boarding house. And it so happens that the boarding house he stayed in was owned by Miss Angelina Eberly, which is going to become significant a little bit later. Houston described Austin as, quote, the most unfortunate site on earth for a capital, close quote. He returned to his residence in Houston when Congress was not in session, and he said that he would not risk his scalp in, quote, that damned hole called Austin, close quote. 
Houston tried to get Congress to move the Capitol during his second term as president, but he was always defeated. Now, this was a big issue to both President Houston and the people of Austin because having the Capitol in your town would ensure the prosperity of the town. In January 1842, a citizen named John Welsh wrote a letter to Houston expressing his feelings on the location of the Capitol and no doubt representing the feelings of many citizens of the city of Austin. He called Houston a liar in that letter for promising the citizens of Austin that he wouldn't move the Capitol, but promising at the same time to the citizens of Houston that he would move the Capitol. He uh, threatened Houston in the letter. He threatened to shoot him. Uh, He threatened to shoot anyone that helped Houston try and move the archives back to Houston. And he calls Sam Houston a, quote, damn blackguard Indian drunk, close quote. And uh, that's sort of the 1842 version of a flaming Facebook post, I guess. Houston, though, was about to get some help on this issue, or so he thought, and it came from the most unlikely of sources, that is Mexico. Because in 1842, Mexico invaded Texas and captured San Antonio. In fact, they did it twice. But the first was in early March 1842. When that happened, President Houston immediately called a special session of the Texas Congress, but he didn't call it to meet in the capital of Austin. Rather, he called for the session to convene in Houston. Now think about this. San Antonio is only about 80 miles from Austin or so, maybe two days march if you're marching. Now you might think that the citizens of Austin would be very concerned about the presence of an invading Mexican army so close to town. Well, they were concerned, but they were more concerned that this special session of Congress that Houston had called was a plot by the president to move the capital back to his namesake city. So instead of fortifying the city, the townsfolk formed what was called a committee of vigilance and warned the department heads of the Texas government that if anyone tried to move the archives of the republic, they would be met with armed resistance. Well, President Houston issued an executive order to George Hockley, who was the Secretary of War, to take the state archives back to the town of Houston. He ordered the land commissioner at the time, Thomas Ward, to prepare the records for transport. However, the military commander in Austin, after he consulted with some local citizens, you can imagine how that went, refused to allow the records to be taken, and he secured them from the land commissioner and the secretary of war. Houston's personal secretary wrote him a letter about the situation. Now remember, Houston refused to stay in Austin when Congress wasn't in session, so he wasn't in Austin. His secretary wrote him a letter and said that the citizens of Austin wouldn't let the records be moved and would, quote, rather take their rifles to prevent a removal of the records than to fight Mexicans, close quote. Houston commented, quote, I suppose they think that if the archives were actually destroyed, it would then be a proper time for their removal, close quote. So it was quite the dispute. The Austin citizens actually started guarding the archives and actually placed an armed patrol in Bastrop to make sure no government papers passed that point. So the archives war was in full swing. Now the special session of Congress that Houston called convened in the town of Houston, and the president in his opening remarks mentioned moving the Capitol. Congress would still not approve moving the Capitol from Austin. They did, however, compromise with Houston, and and while Texas was under this threat of Mexican invasion, the Congress agreed to meet at Washington on the Brazos. So Washington on the Brazos became the capital of Texas during this time. The final battle of the Archives War, and the most interesting, though, was fought later that same year when Mexico again invaded Texas. 
In September 1842, the Mexican army again captured San Antonio, uh, but they did withdraw within a month. Houston, at this point, decided to bypass Congress and issued executive orders for Thomas Smith and Eli Chandler to go get the state archives from Austin and move them to Washington on the Brazos. He ordered them to act in secret and to act as if they were really trying to prevent an Indian invasion of Austin. Now, I've read these orders, and that's, in fact, what they say. On December 30th, 1842, about noon, a group of 20 men, including Smith and Chandler, snuck into the General Land Office, which at that time was on Congress Avenue at about 8th Street, and they started loading the records and archives into wagons, and they had three wagons with them, but they were busted. And they were busted by none other than Sam Houston's old landlord, Angelina Eberly. She immediately spread the alarm up and down Congress Avenue, but she did more than that. She ran to a cannon that was located on Congress Avenue and was kept loaded with grape shot. She turned that cannon around toward the land office and fired it. Well, she hit the building, but she didn't cause serious damage and thankfully didn't hurt anybody. Land Commissioner Thomas Ward recalled eight pieces of grape shot hitting the building. So we've got 20 guys loading the records into wagons and one woman firing a cannon at them. That was the government of Texas, December 30th, 1842. Now I want to pause for a minute and I want to tell you a little bit about Angelina Eberly because she is a woman worth knowing. She was born as Angelina Payton in Tennessee and married her first cousin, Jonathan Payton, moving to Texas in 1822. Now, some records indicate they were, had originally thought about moving to the Caribbean, uh, but ended up in New Orleans and then in Texas. She and her husband owned and operated an inn and tavern called Peyton's Tavern in San Felipe de Austin, which you'll recall was the capital of Austin's colony, and it was a very popular place. In fact, William Barrett Travis, the commander of the Alamo, would walk there from his law office in San Felipe while he was there practicing law. When some volunteers from Liberty, Texas, passed through town on their way to assist the Alamo defenders, Angelina organized the women of the town to stand in front of her tavern and wave their handkerchiefs to inspire the troops as they marched through town to what eventually would be their death. When the Texans had to evacuate San Felipe ahead of Santa Ana's army, Angelina herself made sure all the families had crossed the Brazos River safely. She was the last person out of the town before it was burned. Captain Mosley Baker, who oversaw the evacuation of San Felipe and the burning of the town, described Angelina's, quote, undaunted firmness that inspired many a family with confidence, close quote. Now, Baker was not a fan of Sam Houston, so one time in a letter to Houston uh, about the evacuation, he wrote to Houston that if Houston had had Angelina's spirit, no Mexican force would have taken the capital. After the Battle of San Jacinto, Angelina was widowed and moved to Columbia, where she later married Jacob Eberly, and together they moved to Austin. She opened another inn at Congress and 6th Street called the Eberly House, and that's where Sam Houston stayed while uh, Austin was the capital and Congress was in session. She was widowed again right before the Archives War that we're discussing, and she later operated a tavern in Port Lavaca, then a hotel in Indianola, where she died in 1860, and she was buried there at Indianola. Um, unfortunately, the 1875 hurricane that hit Indianola washed away that graveyard. All the graves and markers are gone. I got to tell you, Texas women have always been strong, capable, and just a little bit sassy. So you Texas women listening to this 
can thank Angelina Eberly for helping start that spirit. She was obviously a strong, tough, and smart Texas woman. Wisely, um, after she fired that cannon at the land office, the men loading the wagons uh, took what they had loaded and got out of there as quick as they could. Land Commissioner Ward sent two Land Commission clerks with the guys that had taken the records to protect the records, and he instructed them to not participate in any fights, but also not to give up the records. So being a clerk in the land office back in 1842 was a fairly tough job. The wagons headed north with the records uh, to avoid the citizen patrols at Bastrop and took what was then called the upper route to a place called Kenny's. Now, Kenny's was actually Kenny's Fort was the home of a Dr. Thomas Kenny who came to Texas in 1833. He served at the Battle of San Jacinto, and he built the first settlement in what is now Round Rock in 1838. He built a fort on the banks of Brushy Creek. Many homes sprang up nearby because that fort would have provided protection from Indian attacks, which, of course, were frequent at that time. Kenny let Smith and Chandler and the men stash the archives in the fort and spend the night. However, during the night, a company of citizens from Austin under the command of a Captain Mark Lewis showed up, and they forced Smith and Chandler to give up the archives. The Austin citizens took the archives back to Austin, and guess where they put them? In Angelina Eberly's boarding house, because they knew they would be well guarded. So the archives war was over for the time being. Now, I say for the time being because Sam Houston's executive orders to remove the archives have never been rescinded, to my knowledge. Now, those orders were issued when Texas was a republic, and of course it's since become a state, so the orders are probably invalid. But are they? Could it be that the real capital of Texas is, the was- is at Washington on the Brazos, or even at Houston? A better question may be whether Houston and Austin are still locked in armed conflict, so I invite my Austin friends to weigh, on, weigh in on this issue, but I can tell you that Houston is ready. Well, government business at the time that the archives war occurred was still being conducted at Washington on the Brazos. Now, before you think that the archives war was all about Sam Houston's ego, let me tell you that one person estimated that over 90% of Austin residents fled the city after the Mexican army invaded San Antonio and fewer than half of those citizens returned. Austin was clearly not safe from the Mexican army, but the Austin residents were right that their new town would fizzle out unless it remained the capital. So here's a little side note. The government can continued conducting its business at Washington on the Brazos until 1845, which is when Sam Houston left office for the last time as president. So while he couldn't move the capital back to Houston, old Sam managed to keep it out of Austin until Anson Jones became president in the 1844 election. And today, of course, the capital remains in Austin, at least for now. All right, now we come to the segment of the show called Getting There, where I tell you how to go see some of the places that were talked about in the episode. First, the location of the Capitol building in Houston, I mentioned earlier, is on Texas Avenue at Main Street in downtown Houston. The Rice Lofts stand there now. There's a plaque commemorating the site, and the present building there, of course, is beautiful and historic in its own right, so it's worth seeing. Sam Houston's first executive residence was on Caroline Street, just south of Preston Avenue. It's the old Anderson Clayton building, and it now houses Harris County offices. And there's a plaque on that building on the Caroline side commemorating the residence. 
incidentally, in 1837, there was a gully running down Caroline Street, which at that time was named Carolina Street. So if you can, if you visit that site, you can envision having to jump a ditch to get over to the Capitol. Uh, that ditch is still there, but it's now an underground stream. The second executive residence was located on Main Street at Preston, which is now the location of the Scanlon Building. And there's a plaque on that building commemorating that location. The first Capitol building in Austin was located not on the Capitol Square, as the town was originally laid out, but it was located west of Congress Avenue near the present-day intersection of 8th Street and Colorado Street. Uh, The northeast corner of that intersection was where the original Capitol in Austin was built. The General Land Office building that Angelina Eberly shot up was located on Congress Avenue at the corner of East 8th Street, which would have been just a couple of blocks from the original Capitol building. Now, presumably the cannon Miss Eberly fired was across the street, but here's what you need to see. In 2004, a statue of Angelina Eberly firing her cannon was erected on the west side of Congress Avenue, north of 6th Street, between 6th and 7th. Allegedly, that's where the cannon was. If that's true, then Angelina would have had to turn the cannon toward the north to fire at the land office, which is a block and a half away. But the cannon in the statue is not pointed that direction. If you go see that statue and see where that cannon is pointing, take out your smartphone and use a compass and map app to estimate where that cannon is actually pointing. It's pointing straight at Houston. Well done, Austin. Very well done. So you can decide for yourself whether Houston and Austin are still at war. Well, that wraps up Episode 5 of Wise About Texas. Again, I very much appreciate the tremendous response to this podcast. You can find the show at www.wiseabouttexas.com, and I hope you'll share that website with your friends and family. Wise About Texas has a Facebook page, and if you go there, I hope you will like that page and share the page to let people know about the show. And you can follow us on Twitter, at Wise About Texas. That's at Wise About Texas. So until next time, God bless Texas, and we'll see you down the road.